Good morning. Happy New Year. Shekno Nelepshi Shem. I do want to thank you for uh, your prayers for our family. Uh, we enjoyed some time in the U.S. with our adult offspring. Uh, many of you know that while we were there, Karen's mother passed away. Um, that was not totally unexpected, but the timing was sooner than we expected. But we appreciate your prayers for us. Um, <clears throat> and again, just, as, just so 2021 could have one last hit, uh, there was a, uh, someone in Karen's family had COVID, so we had to shift our memorial service to uh, virtual online which allowed more people to attend, which was nice. But God was good to us in the midst of that. We're thankful that Karen's mom, her mind is no longer confused. Her body is no longer in pain. She's with the Lord. And so we are, we are thankful for that. Um, <clears throat> so today, as we've been looking at the, the topical portion of Proverbs, we come to the subject of wisdom and wealth. Um, on a slightly related topic, you might have noticed in the newsletter, there is a donor survey. So if you have given online to ICP, to the local bank account. Do please take that survey. There's just a few questions, but every question represents a headache for the finance team as we try to run down who gave this money, because often there is nothing more than a name in the banking information, and you all want, many of you want these statements for tax purposes, and we don't know how to get it to you. So to save us from chasing you down, uh, do please complete that survey. So. Just that little plug. It won't cost you anything. You've already paid. So, yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, as we do begin a new year, um, most of us have made our and already broken our New Year's resolutions. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm, uh, at my age, I don't even make them anymore. I just, yeah, it's done. Um, um, but it, it often does cause us to reflect on our priorities. And uh, there are a few things in life that reflect our priorities more than our attitude toward wealth or toward money. So as we've looked at the topical portion of Proverbs, we have considered first the good and wise God, and then the last time we were together, the good and wise person, what wise character looks like in general. And then today we look at this specific area of how Proverbs speaks to the matter of wealth or, or money. Uh, if you're looking for wisdom, for investing today, you will be disappointed. Um, I am not someone you would want advi financial advice from. Uh, you remember Scott Mills, I uh, moved back to the US in 21. I'll, I'm glad to refer you to Scott. He, he knows such things, I do not. Um, so today's not about smart investments or an easy way to get rich or get rich quick. If you're expecting a steaming plate of guilt to inspire you to give more, um, relax. Guilt is not on the menu today. As always, as we have seen in Proverbs, the issue is the heart. It is not about what we have or what we don't have, but what we love and what we treasure. And so our, our desire today is that we might learn to love and treasure the right things and not engage in folly that costs us relationally and spiritually and along the way, maybe even financially. So it's not about what we have, it's about what we love. It's about what we treasure, about what we seek in life. Now, when we look at the, what the Bible teaches us about wealth, there is one thing we need to understand about the difference between the old and new covenants. You understand that God's covenant 
through Moses with Israel, if Israel obeyed God, he would prosper them. They would be materially prosperous. When we come to the new covenant, if we obey the gospel, we receive in Christ a treasure, God's greatest treasure. And whether you are rich or poor, if you have Christ, if you know Christ, you can lose everything else in life. You can lose possessions. You can lose relationships. You can lose health. You can lose freedom, even life itself, but you still come out ahead. That is how wonderful Jesus is. He is worth more, more desirable, more satisfying than anything we can have in this life. So whether you are financially wealthy or poor, if you have Christ, you are wealthy. You have a treasure, and I pray God will open our eyes to the treasure that Christ is, that our hearts would be satisfied in him, that we would not fall prey to, to folly and idolatry that can, that can consume us, especially in, in times like this. Um, and let me clarify a bit what I mean by wealth. Um, I mean simply the total value of everything you have will add to that the prospect of stable income. There are different levels that we can have enough wealth for necessities to meet our needs, and we can have a nice discussion about what is necessary, what we must have. Uh, it's just funny to me as we look at going places, traveling, whether we're staying with friends, I don't ask anymore about you know, size of room, bed, air conditioning, ask about internet. Do you have internet? <laughs> Do you have connection? We have to stay connected. This is, this is the oxygen of the 21st century. Um, so what is necessary? Um, that kind of thing. Uh, you can talk about a level of wealth that is enough beyond necessities, but it allows you to live comfortably, enjoy some things, maybe plan for the future. And beyond this, there is a level of wealth we would call abundance or maybe excess. And it's relative, right? You can... You might feel poor in one country and wealthy in another. When we lived in Romania, we felt and were wealthier than most of our friends. Thankfully, it was actually a blessing that more than one would say to us, you know, you're not like typical rich people. You like, you know, are friends with us and you're like normal people. But we go back to the U.S. and we'd be more on the, the poor end of the scale. We were back in the U.S. Our kids were younger. We had them in public school and um, we had to fill out a form list our income, and because our income was so low, we actually got a discount on the school lunches. So, you know, we're, it, it's relative. So that's okay. Rich or poor, if you have Christ, you're actually wealthy. Um, so the first thing I would like to, to say in terms of just some observations about how Proverbs describes wealth is that it is okay to be wealthy. Um, Wealth has long been a, a potentially troublesome issue among God's people. We can see even in the New Testament that it was a troublesome issue in the church. Jesus lived as a poor man, at least on human terms. The first Christians, generally speaking, were poor. But the gospel is not just for poor people, it's also for the rich. And in time, there were wealthy people who were coming to Christ, coming into the church. In the New Testament book of James, we find several, and this was probably one of the first New Testament books written, but we find several rebukes of wealthy people, of the rich, who are exploiting and oppressing and misusing and mistreating God's people. We also find a rebuke of the church for showing favoritism to wealthy people when they came into the church. But then later, we find, some years later, as Paul wrote to, to Timothy, we find this counsel that I think is especially relevant, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So you see, that's our tendency. We want to put our hope or build our confidence, find our identity in wealth. But it is uncertain. Instead, we should put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives us things that we can enjoy, not just for necessities. He delights in blessing us, giving us more than we need, allowing us to enjoy those things and glorifying him and our enjoyment of what he provides. And verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So you may have heard the expression, you can't take it with you, and that is true, but you can send it ahead, right? <laughs> by being generous, by leveraging wealth for the kingdom of God, you, in, in some sense, send it ahead. There is, there is reward for that. So just notice as we think about those verses, there is no rebuke for being wealthy just in itself. It all depends on the heart. Wealth can be enjoyed as a blessing of God. It's okay to enjoy the rewards of your labor, the fruit of your work. It's okay if you have a little more than you need. It's okay. But it is tempting to put our hope in these things, and that's what we have to guard against, or to think that our life consists of what we own, of our wealth, or what's in the bank account, or the value of, of our possessions. To think, this is our life, this is who I am. That is the great danger. It becomes an idol for us. And then we have to understand that wealth is uncertain. It is it just flies away so quickly. It seems like it is earned over time. And, and just, as, as we'll see later, it just sprouts wings and fly away. Wealth is not just something for you to feel good about yourself, but it enables us to do good for our family, for those for whom we are responsible, but also for the needs of others. So just know that there is a purpose in you having some measure of wealth especially early in the early years is anytime Karen and I had some kind of excess, our question became what's about to happen? <laughs> because it seemed like anytime something came in that there was more than we needed, a car was about to break down, somebody was about to get sick. And that's pretty much how it worked. I do remember a time, I may have shared this with you before, we were traveling, we were in the U.S., we had car trouble. It, it cost several hundred dollars to get a car fixed and uh, but we returned to, uh, we were staying with Karen's parents, returned home, and there was a check from a church for the, within less than a dollar of the amount that I had paid in car repairs. Of course, I spent that whole drive wondering, how in the world are we going to pay for these repairs? I used a credit card, God's gift to the financially foolish, <laughs> but um, God provided. So, Thinking about 1 Timothy, thinking about Proverbs, here are some of the things that we find in Proverbs simply about the, the issue of wealth in itself. We find in chapter 10, it says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. It is the blessing of God. It's okay. We don't have to be envious, nor idolatrous, nor feel guilty about having something. Chapter 14, it says, the wealth of the wise is their crown. It doesn't call it a burden or a curse, but it's a, it is a blessing. It is their crown. The folly of fools yields folly. There's a, there's a cycle there. And we see also that wise living can lead us to make choices that will bless not only ourselves, but the generations to come. So we find in chapter 13, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Now this inheritance can take different forms. It may be in form of finances. There may be something left after all the, the expenses are settled. 
There may be something of value, some things that are not money, but they're financially or they're, they're valuable. Or there might simply be a legacy of faith, hope, and love. And certainly we would want the last. The first is okay. Now to sum up all of this, it's not a sin to be wealthy, to enjoy the fruit of your labor, the rewards of your work. God does give us things beyond what we absolutely need. And it's okay to enjoy those and glorify him in the enjoyment of those things. However, we, as always, we have to watch our hearts, lest anything, especially money, control us. We have to watch our hearts so that we don't think our identity in life is found in our wealth or in what we have. So we find helpful wisdom in Proverbs along these lines. So we see a second observation is that how we, how we acquire wealth is important. So uh, we've already read that it's the blessing of the Lord that, that brings wealth. And God has ordained some means by which we acquire wealth. The first is by working. See, it's not just that we trust God and, and he, he gives us our, everything we want in excess. One of the ways God has ordained that we bring in and provide for our needs and enable us to meet the needs of others is by working. So chapter 10 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So working, that's, that is, that's been a part of human life since creation. The Lord intends for us to work diligently to see our own needs met, to meet the needs of those for whom we are responsible, to meet the needs of others that God brings across our lives. There are many kinds of work that provide for us and our families and others, but work and work diligently. Um, you know, I was a, a pastor, small church in the U.S. before we moved to Romania, and we had, uh, church was able to support us, then we had basically one wealthy family and and uh, they left. I'm sure it was the preaching. <laughs> but, uh, at any point, at any rate, the church could not continue to support us. And so we prayed, God, what are you doing in this? And we didn't feel free to leave. And that meant uh, Karen's already working a part-time job. I took on a part-time job because we were trying to balance. What, what does God want of us in this situation? And that was, that was how he provided. He didn't just provide money uh, as a gift. He open doors for me to work and generate more income. And that's the normal way. Um, we see um, the value of work also might be the reason uh, for this proverb in chapter 20. It says, an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. Because sometimes people inherit wealth that they didn't work for. They lack the maturity to use it wisely and they wind up blowing it away, and it is, it, they make poor choices that bring loss, sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's other kinds of loss. A second way that we are to gain wealth is by saving regularly. Say, I know, I'm sorry this isn't more exciting, you know, <laughs> maybe if I were the real televangelist, I could say, just send in your seed faith and God will bless you tenfold. You know, sometimes God does that, sometimes he blesses you in other ways. The reality is working and saving are the main ways. So chapter 13 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money, little by little, makes it grow. This is the idea of working, generating income, saving regularly. Um, you know, we were, we, our income was really limited, especially in the early years. We saved, managed to save a little bit. God blessed that and, and sustained us through the years of college and weddings. Well, we still have one to go. 
Um, so far, God, God has blessed and sustained even our meager efforts, he's, and he is, has provided what we've needed through the years. So I just want you to know God is faithful. He does expect us to have a part in this. Um, it is necessary to save for predictable expenses. You know something is coming up, plan for it. I helped our youngest son, Andrew, as he's finished university, started a, a job just planning on budgeting, anticipating expenses. That was a fun conversation. Um, and realizing that, yeah, he's, he'll have to be disciplined. <laughs> you know, he won't be able to do everything he wants to do. And uh, he's moving toward marriage. There's a lot of things he wants to do. It's, it's fun to see him struggling with that. Um, it is. To let him know that now the allowance stops, he's feeding himself. It's, it's a joy to release your kids financially. It's awesome. Yeah, you are somebody else's problem now. But it's, it's wise to save for that. It's wise to anticipate expenses and do your best to be prepared for that. Uh, to try to have something for emergencies, try to have something for longer-term needs, uh, even for retirement. And I say this as one who is sort of staring retirement, maybe in, in the, I don't know, next few years anyway, but it's a thought. But that's even retirement, that is not doing nothing. That is being prepared to invest in the next generation and not being a financial burden on someone else. Okay, so it's, but you have to start early to be prepared for that. So this is not just, I would say, the dream of, you know, sitting on the lake fishing. That truly is a nightmare for me. I don't like water. I don't like fishing. So that's not, that's not my dream retirement. Um, but it's, it's wise to save but it's also foolish to be so obsessed with saving that you cannot enjoy God's blessing and you cannot meet the needs of others. So there, there is a balance in here. There is a, a wisdom. That it, is not, it is often, it's not clear-cut what you should do in, in specific situations. Then there's a, another area besides working and saving. There is simply understanding and planning. It just doesn't get exciting, does it? <laughs> it just takes hard work and thought and prayer and wisdom. It takes hard work, careful planning over a long time. So as you hear these next verses, just think about what is necessary to sustain income and how God has ordained these processes. So this is in chapter 27. It says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Everybody's got flocks and herds, right? I don't know. We Different, but there's principles there. For riches do not endure forever. And a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed, a new growth appears, and the grass from the hills is gathered in. The lambs will provide you with clothing, and the goats with the price of a field. You don't have to have lambs or goats to understand what's going on here, right? You'll have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family, nourish your female servants. So here's the point. You think about the processes that have to take place for you to generate next income. It may not be flocks and herds. It may be a skill you have. You continue to give time to that skill, continue to earn money. Understand that in this case, there are agricultural processes at work that yield what you need to feed the flocks and herds that enable you to either gather the wool or sell the, the livestock, whatever it is, in order to provide for the needs of your family and others. So... What I am saying is whether or not you have flocks and herds is, is secondary. It is, the point is to give the time to understand how to generate income, how to plan accordingly. Understand that whatever wealth you have, it doesn't last forever, but God has ordained means by which you can 
supply for future needs. Then another, uh, another area that affects how we generate wealth is that of integrity. So there are several proverbs, uh, there are too many to use this morning, but there are several that point out in one way or another that gaining wealth and losing integrity is actually disaster. So in chapter 28, we read this, verse 6, Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. It is better to be poor and keep your integrity than to be financially sound and wealthy, but a thief or a fool. We should not acquire wealth by being devious or deceptive. So chapter 10 says, Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. It is more important to keep your integrity than to build up your bank account. Chapter 21, we find this. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. We also should not acquire wealth by taking advantage of others, especially of the poor. So in chapter 16, we read this. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. As followers of Christ, we've seen this in Proverbs before, we should be passionate about doing the right thing, about doing justice, not injustice, and to profit by doing the wrong things is, is abhorrent. It is an abomination. Chapter 22, the one who oppresses the poor to increases his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. So again, injustice and oppression, profiting from those things is just wrong. Chapter 28, whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. So it is, the consequences of doing this are tragic, right? If you lose your integrity simply to gain wealth. Now, another observation about wealth is that we have to watch over our hearts regarding the issue of wealth. As always, it begins with our heart. Whether you are rich or poor, it starts with the heart. And the fear of the Lord helps us avoid folly of loving the, and loving and desiring and treasuring the wrong things. So we find something to guard against, something to cultivate, and something to understand. First, we should guard against greed. Whether you're rich or poor, you're not immune to greed. So we have to guard against, this is the self-serving desire for wealth. It can be motivated by pride or envy or fear. Whatever the case, it causes us to make decisions, take actions, whether, whether or not they lead to financial gain, they result in spiritual and relational loss. So we find this in Proverbs chapter 28, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. So notice who prospers here. It's not greed that makes you prosper. It is trust in the Lord will prosper. That prosperity may or may not be financial. It may or may not show up in the bank account, but it is the right thing to do. We're warned against greed not only on the personal level, but in society and even in political leadership. Chapter 29 says, By justice, a king gives a country stability, but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. So notice here, a king can do his best to lead a nation with justice, but if those who are working under him are greedy, they can subvert and sabotage the good things he does. Now this may lead us to ask, is there a form of government that can prevent this? There is not. Most nations today lean either toward capitalism or socialism. I've lived in both kinds of countries, and I've seen greed in both kinds of countries. I've seen people profit from, both, from using those systems to profit. Either way, there is not a government system that can prevent greed in the heart. Okay? The only thing that cures that is the gospel of Christ. 
So something to avoid is greed. Something to cultivate is contentment. In Philippians 4, Paul thanked the church at Philippi for sending financial support to him after some time without doing that. Um, Paul expressed his gratitude, but he said, I have learned in whatever my circumstances to be content. Um, Notice it was something he had to learn. It was not automatic. Contentment is often a hard-learned lesson. Whether you are rich or poor, the poor may lack contentment because there are simply needs that are not being met. The rich may lack contentment because they, they can become idolatrous. So they, if I just need a little bit more, they're never satisfied with how much they have. So contentment, it's a hard lesson for all of us. But we, desi- we find the, the desire for contentment expressed beautifully in the prayer of Agur in Proverbs 30. He says this, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. There's the integrity. Then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? That is the self-sufficiency that can come with wealth. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So that's a, that's a great prayer for contentment. Lord, provide and trust you to provide enough for my needs Trust that whatever you give, it is enough for what I will face this day. There's a third thing we need to do, and that is we need to read the warning label about wealth. So you've seen warning labels, right? I think I have one in the next slide. Is that, there you go. Don't even bother reading the points. I don't even know. That's something I found on the all-knowing internet. You get the idea. Warning label, lots of warnings about how to use, what to do, what not to do. We need to understand the warning label about wealth. That is, what wealth cannot do for us and what it can do to us. Wealth cannot bring us happiness. Proverbs 15 says, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. You can find some of the happiest and most content and at peace people among those who are poor because they, in some sense, understand what is important in life. And you can find some of the I've seen wealthy people who are happy. I've seen more wealthy people who are unhappy, not satisfied, not content, because they're obsessed and have made an idol out of their wealth. Wealth also cannot bring lasting security. Chapter 23 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So wealth... It's simply not permanent. It never lasts. There is a lasting treasure. We'll see that in a few minutes. Another thing wealth cannot do is it cannot help you in the day of judgment. As you know, we all face, we all face the prospect of death and after that, giving account of our lives to God. Your wealth, your bank account, your treasures cannot help you in that day. Only the gospel, only Christ can help you. Only Christ is the one who can enable you to stand in that day. So we find in chapter 11, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So that's what wealth cannot do for us, but wealth can also do some things to us. Wealth can surround the wealthy with the wrong kind of friends. Chapter 19 says, wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. You know, it's just not fair, right? And yet it's reality. People know you're wealthy, they're going to be your friend. 
If you're wealthy, it can make you feel superior to others. Chapter 17 says, whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. So, but sometimes wealth can make you callous, make you feel like you're better than those who are less wealthy, perhaps less fortunate than you are. Chapter 18 says, the poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. It can make us callous to the needs of others. And it should make us generous. It should, we should keep a tender heart, keeping our hope in Christ. And yet, wealth has a way of doing that, of, of hardening our hearts toward, toward those who are unfortunate. Wealth can give you a false sense of self-confidence. It can make us think we've, we've arrived where we are. We've earned our wealth by our own effort, by our own cleverness, our own ingenuity. But ultimately, whether we are rich or poor in human terms is from the Lord. Chapter 22 says, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Wealth can also give us a false sense of security. Those, chapter 11 says, those who trust in the riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And uh, chapter 18, verse 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Wealth can give us a false sense of security. We think, okay, I've got this much money. Nothing can happen to it. Nothing can happen to me. I am safe. You're not safe. Wealth cannot make you safe. It can actually bring more risk to you because someone desires the wealth, may seek to rob or kidnap, do something to, to take your wealth away from you. <clears throat> so understand the, the warning label about wealth. A fourth observation is that we need to see ourselves not as owners of wealth, but as managers of something God has entrusted to us. So one thing this means is that we need to know the risks of debt. Um, I'm not going to give you financial advice. I'm just going to show you some scriptures, okay? Chapter 22 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I understand there are times to borrow money, to make purchases that you need. Just enter into that wisely and knowingly, okay? A credit card debt is a disaster, okay? I will tell you this, we have been there, we have paid finance charges that were a terrible burden. And I remember several years ago, we came to a point, we just made a couple of bad decisions. And we got out of that, and I'm thankful to say in several years, we have not done that. I say that by the blessing of God, and be honest, yes, I have poor decisions in my track record. Just understand the risks of debt. And assuming debts for others, that one of my great surprises in preparing this message was how many warnings there were against co-signing, against guaranteeing the debts of another, especially of someone you don't know. I'll admit I've helped my kids as they've started their adult lives. I have, have you know, guaranteed them to make some initial purchase of a car or something like that. Thankfully, that has not backfired on me so far. But again, I know my kids and trust them and know they're, they're working and trying to meet their needs. It was just a safety net for them. We've told our kids, we have your back, but you need to work and you need to, to take care of this and, and be responsible. But there are many warnings. Chapter 11 is one. It says, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands and pledge is safe. Just know there is a risk in taking on debt, and there is a risk in taking on debt for someone you don't know. It's a great deal of risk, right? Um, Second thing, as a manager of wealth entrusted to us, is to be generous. Chapter 11 
says this, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. The next verse, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That is the principle. I've seen it in in the lives of people before. They are wealthy. Their, Their lives, their identity isn't found in their wealth. They give, they're incredibly generous and God seems to entrust more money to them. And so I want to be their friend, right? <laughs> um, but that is the way it works. It seems that the more generous you are, the more wealth the Lord will entrust to you so that you might be more generous. I, I don't know if, uh, if uh, Drew watches still, so I'll just embarrass him in case he does. You know, there are a few times for his object lessons, Drew would hand out money. Do you remember those times? He would give out like 200 crown notes. I would say to Drew, you know, we can cover that, and he would never let me do that. All of those things came out of his pocket, okay? Um, Drew was a model of generosity, of sacrificial generosity. I know he blessed many of you and us as well in his time here. Um, That was Drew blessing and trying to enable you to be a blessing to others. Um, But how generous should we be? Uh, J.D. Greer has a book called Gospel, and he has a chapter on gospel-centered generosity. And he points out the error of thinking we should only live on what is absolutely necessary and give the rest for the kingdom. He says that is not wise thinking. He says there are four problems with this. One, it has no practical end. That is, we can always find something else to do without. I could eat less. I could have, you know, I I won't have fries with that. (laughs) Meaning, you know, I will... um, I'll eat just beans and water, but maybe I can find some worse beans, some cheaper beans, or maybe I can find some dirtier water that (laughs) doesn't cost more. There's no practical end to this. You can always find some other way to sacrifice. And it becomes a a self-obsession. A second error in this is that it assumes God needs our money. But God doesn't need our money, as as Job said earlier in his prayer time. God doesn't need our money. Uh, you know, he can make money appear in a fish's mouth. He can cause a king to rebuild his temple, a pagan king to rebuild his temple. He doesn't need our money. He does use our generosity to accomplish his purposes, but he doesn't need our money. This kind of thinking makes our giving compulsory rather than a joyful response to the gospel. And then it, it, I think it's inconsistent with what we've seen elsewhere in Proverbs that we can enjoy and glorify God by enjoying the good gifts he gives us. So you might benefit from taking a look at your own expenses and how Greer wraps up his discussion on this. What we spend shows what we delight in, shows what's important to us. What we save shows what we find security in. So again, becoming obsessive in any of those areas is just not healthy. And then another area is to be kind. Chapter 19, we find this. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And negatively, it says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Um, one area we struggle with, especially when we moved to Romania, was the issue of beggars. We'd only been in country a couple of days, knock at the door, we open the door, and here's this poor person, obviously in great distress, needing food and clothing for who knows how many children there were. You know, we were just in country, hadn't brought a lot of extra things, but we thought, oh, this is terrible, we're giving food and clothing. <laughs> And within minutes, there were five more at the door. We thought, okay, there's more going on here than we understand. And it was constant. Constant. They would walk with us from our apartment to a bus stop where we were going. 
just constantly asking, begging. And, you know, I mean, I found myself growing angry. Uh, over time, we became callous, said no. I had one of them say to me, you know, you're mean. <laughs> I thought, okay, um, nobody ever left an encounter with Jesus saying you're mean. But I am doing something wrong here. And it took us a long time to, to find a, a wise balance with that. It was, it was a real struggle, and we're still learning. Um, uh, finally, we should keep our hearts focused on the true wealth. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Richie Rich. It was an old comic strip when I was a child, so that means like, you know, cuneiform tablets um, centuries ago. But it was a comic strip. That made, it was about this family that was very wealthy. Their main character was their son named Richie. So Richie, family's name was Rich. There was also a movie made in the mid-90s. And uh, in the movie, thieves forced the, the Rich family to take them to their mountain fortress where all of their family treasure is behind walls and bars and and the thieves force them to take them there they open it up they go inside and the thief is furious because all he sees are old bicycles and toys and trophies and and pictures and he demands that mr rich tell him where all the money and the gold bars and diamonds are mr rich says in the bank where else (laughs) the thief says you know he demands to know why none of those things are here in his vault and mr rich says that's not what we treasure. I thought that's a, a great example on a human term of treasuring what's important, right? Well, Proverbs tell us, tells us there is a, a treasure that cannot be held in the hand or deposited in the bank. Chapter 15 says, The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings ruin. You may or may not be wealthy. There, there, you, may have, uh, uh, you may typically have a little bit of month left at the end of the money. Okay. Um, That doesn't mean you don't have great treasure because if you know Christ, you have the greatest treasure that is possible to have. So whether you are rich or poor, if you know Christ, you are wealthy. The house of the righteous contains great treasure. Now, there's not a lot of wealth in our home, but we have treasures of, of memories, of times... As our family, our kids are growing up, there is money cannot buy those things. So trust in the Lord. He will provide for your needs. He will, he will lead you. Chapter 22 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And some of those may be financial. They may not be. But the greatest treasure is Christ. As Colossians 2 tells us, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He has died. He has risen again. He has conquered death to bring us forgiveness and freedom and life and a treasure that far exceeds anything this age can offer us. So we plead with you today to come to Christ. If you do not know him, um, you will. He, he doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. As Job said earlier, he wants your heart. He deserves your heart. He is worthy. And if you will renounce yourself and put your hope in him, you will find in him everything your heart hungers for. So if you have questions about what it means to know Christ, please find one of us after the service today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments today. Lord, we thank you um, for the way you work in our lives. We thank you that you provide for our needs. You provide more than we need. I pray that you will help us to be aware of needs around us for those who who have financial ability to do so. 
Lord, I pray for those who are in need right now, Lord, that you will provide for their needs. And I pray that whether we are rich or poor, that we will treasure you above anything and everything and anyone in this life. We do love you and thank you for being the treasure of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.